no substitute uh, for this time, and we are grateful for the opportunity to gather in your name and in your presence. And so, Lord, we ask that you would continue to speak to us through your word. Lord, would you shape and mold me? Would you shape and mold all of us through your words, which never pass away? And, uh, and God, yeah, we just trust you to do that. And we ask for those things in Jesus' name. I'm going to just jump right in here and say, you know, this is Pentecost Sunday. Uh, this is the Sunday that, uh, that hopefully we wear, if you, if you know about it, you wear red. So I, I see a little bit of, a little, probably a little bit of accidental red sprinkled here and about, but that's kind of like a very churchy sort of thing. Uh, this is the day of the year that the church uh, traditionally celebrates the birth of the church, that we celebrate the Holy Spirit being poured out on people, on all kinds of people, uh, and uh, everything that happened after that. And so uh, we're basically just going to read and talk about that story and all the good stuff. And we're actually going to mostly just be in Acts 2, but we're going to hit quite a bit of Acts 2. So I'm going to jump right in with verse 1. Uh, and it says this, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And as I read that this morning, I, just, I was arrested by that statement all alone just by itself, just that first verse of they were all together in one place. And just what a gift and what a joy and what an opportunity it is to be together in one place. How important and good it is to be together in one place and how that really is the design that God has for his body, right? The, the Christian message, the Christian gospel is this idea that God had a son, Right? That God became human in some sense. That God sent a, a representative of himself, a perfect human person who was embodied, who came close to us, who had skin and bones and who got blisters and who uh, probably you know, sweat and definitely bled and, uh, and, and definitely uh, went through all the, all the earthy, juicy, messy stuff that, uh, that people go through right? That, that Jesus had a body and actually still has a body. That if we read the scriptures, it says that Jesus, he ascended into heaven in his body, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, uh, uh, presumably in his body as a flesh and blood human being. That's kind of a wild idea to think about, that Jesus had a body and still has a body. And then we also find in the scripture that that, uh, that his church is described as his body, that we are, with flesh and blood, the continuing incarnation of Jesus on the earth, that we, as the people who have been baptized into his name and who represent him into the world, who are made in his image, male and female, made in the image of God, that we represent Jesus to the world, that we are the people that make up his body when we gather together. And so this idea of embodied proximity, this is the design and the plan of the mission of God, that God is not a God who's far off, he's not a God that's just an idea somewhere, but that God has flesh and bone, and God is living in our neighborhood, that God is working at our job, that God is present among us, and that embodied proximity, I just think that's so important. Uh, as we consider this story, as, as we consider what happens next in this story. And so when we read on in verse 2, it says this, 
that suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And I'm, I'm going to need, yeah, here we go. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Uh, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all those who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, probably butchered a couple of those, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, and both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, and amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? But there were some, however, who made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. And so there's this festival going on. You have this international presence. You have, all, you have this pilgrimage that's happening where all these Jewish believers from different parts of the world are coming together. They all kind of have their own language. They probably have their own skin tones. They have their own uh, look and feel. They have their own uh, culture that they're kind of bringing. They're, they have their own, uh, at the very least, uh, spoken, spoken language. And you kind of think about that. Think about the, 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 the amazingness of that, that all these different people from different languages all are trying to follow God and celebrate the goodness of God, the giving of the law, uh, the celebration of Pentecost that's happening in Jerusalem. And then the Holy Spirit comes, and all these Galilean hicks, right? All these, all these kind of backwards, you know, country bumpkin weirdos. Uh, you know, maybe a couple of them were cosmopolitan. You know, Matthew, the tax collector, you know, he probably had some kind of, you know, education. He was at least good at math if he was, if he was doing accounting work, right? But, but for the most part, all these, like, nobodies are suddenly speaking uh, these kind of all these exotic languages, and they're hearing the wonders of God proclaimed in their own language. And some people think, wow, this is amazing. And other people go, I think that guy's drunk. Like, look at this weirdo. Look at these weirdos being weird. Look at these bizarre Christians. Uh, look at these bizarre people kind of overdoing it a little bit. Like, maybe getting a little too into their thing. Maybe getting a little too into their religious observance, maybe being just a bit, uh, bit not cool, bit, bit kind of strange, uh, kind of not, not sure I want what that, what's happening to that person. Like, it, it, it's, it's, it's a, there's some tension, even in this moment when the Holy Spirit is being poured out powerfully and, and everything that happens next, even in that moment, there was some awkwardness. And I think it's important for us, especially as a community that I think likes to think of itself as pretty cool. And I, I mean, I like to think of myself as pretty cool. I don't know about you. I mean, I, I, I like to think that I'm, I'm like reasonably with it, man. I'm not like, I mean, I'm, I don't think I'm like the prom king or whatever, but I just, you know, I like to think of myself as 
God, not a not a total weirdo, not a total freak. Like I like to think of myself as kind of normal. Like maybe not the most normal. I'm sure I like some. I, I want to be an individual. I want people to think of me like uh, I'm I'm unique and special and and. And maybe, you know, not, I'm not a lemming, I'm not a sheep, I don't, I don't just go with, you know, whatever's spoon-fed to me by, by some, you know, corporation or something, but, but like, I'm, I'm with it, I'm, I'm kind of cool, I'm kind of all right. But then, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, these people get made fun of, they get mocked, they get called bizarre, uh, and people think they're weirdos. And I think it's important for us to reflect, as individuals and as a community, are we willing to look strange? Are we willing to look lame or freaky or weird? Because I think that the nature of God's Holy Spirit is that it, he is irreducibly weird. Or maybe I could even say she is irreducibly weird. Like even talking about the Holy Spirit, like I feel uncomfortable using either gendered pronoun to talk about the Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed that? Like, usually when people talk about the Holy Spirit, they talk about the Holy Spirit, right? Like, we don't usually say, and then he, the Holy Spirit, or she, the Holy Spirit. Like, we're, either of those would be uncomfortable, for me anyway, to describe the Holy Spirit. Like, that in itself is actually pretty weird when you stop to think about it for a moment. And then to see the things that the Holy Spirit does when the Holy Spirit shows up, those things are often pretty weird, right? Like, speaking in tongues is just weird. I don't know, like, I do it, and I hope and pray that everybody has that experience, and I love it, and it's great, but it's weird, right? It never gets less weird for me to, to talk to God in this kind of experience of, I guess you can call it language, though it, I, in some way, like, I don't even really understand what I'm doing when I, you know, like, I can, I can, do that because the Holy Spirit is in me and I, I have this experience of deep connection and emotional just like worship that happens with God when I, when I pray that way, but it doesn't get any less weird. And so for the most part, because I'm trying to be considerate to others, I, I usually keep that under my, under my voice and under my mask. I, that's one of the things I'm going to miss with the, with the lifting of a mask mandate is, you know, now it's going to be more awkward if I want to pray in tongues. I can't do it with facial cover and, and nobody can see that my mouth is moving. I'm going to freak people out again. But the Holy Spirit at some point is just kind of weird because God is other. That word holiness, you might recall, uh, it originally doesn't mean anything to do with, like, being super good or being super pure. It, it took on that meaning as people started to use that word to describe the Lord, the one true God, because he is good, and he is pure, and he is morally righteous, and he is, uh, he is untouchable in his, in his uh, purity and all those things. That, that, that word carries all those meanings, but the original word uh, the original meaning of holy just means set apart. It's like this other thing. It's separate. It is distinct. It is other, right? And so when we think about the Holy Spirit, well, if the Holy Spirit is really holy, he necessarily, or she, or the Holy Spirit, necessarily has to be other. It has to be something that is beyond what is normal, 
beyond what we experience every day, beyond what is commonplace or common or profane. If something is holy, it is set apart, and that makes it strange. It makes it something that we're not used to. And so if we are going to be people who experience God's Holy Spirit, if we're going to be people who are filled with the holiness of God, then we are going to be strange. We're going to be a little bit weird. We're going to be different. And that will be our experience. And so I think it's important that we are comfortable with awkwardness. It's important that we become comfortable with uh, embracing God's leadership in our lives, even if it makes us look silly, even if it makes us look foolish, even if it feels weird to us to follow God into whatever he would call us to. Another thing that I think is really important and an important point to make, especially with this little passage, when it talks about all the people experiencing the wonders of God being proclaimed in their own language, you know, God is breaking down barriers and redeeming every human culture in this experience. The miracle of Pentecost is not that there was wind and that there was fire, which, you know, that's cool. Uh, and there's kind of like some symbolism there that's a connection to this idea of the Shekinah glory, that, that the, the Spirit of God filled the temple when Moses built the tabernacle. And then when Solomon built the temple, there was, this, there was something very similar and spooky that happened where the Holy Spirit filled that physical space. He filled that, uh, that, that place with, with smoke and with fire and with his glory, right? This, uh, and it kind of harkens back to being led by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire uh, in Exodus and in that story. But so when the, when the wind blows and the fire comes, it's sort of kind of showing that now the temple is people, that now the temple is walking around in this group of people, and God's presence is not limited to a physical building, but uh, that God's presence is living inside human beings. Uh, sinful human beings even, flawed human beings who make mistakes, and that is kind of mind-blowing to everybody who's never heard this story before. But the, the, the other miracle that's happening here is that there is a breaking down of cultural barriers, and it is necessarily multi-ethnic. The gospel and the good news is that God is for all people, for every kind of person, for every language that is spoken under heaven, uh, for every color of skin, for every gender, for every, uh, for every place that a person could come from. And so it's not that the Holy Spirit made everybody suddenly speak Latin. You know, they didn't start speaking Roman to each other. They didn't start speaking Hebrew to each other. They didn't start speaking Greek, or they definitely did not start speaking American to each other, uh, or King James English, right? They heard the gospel in their own language. They heard people who didn't know them becoming not strangers, but, uh, but they were able to understand each other. And so the curse of Babel is undone. That this, this, this separation that happens when people can't understand each other, the Holy Spirit makes it possible for people to break down barriers and to be united, even while maintaining diversity around the person of Jesus. I think it's also important to note here that the Holy Spirit in being irreducibly weird and in breaking down barriers and helping people understand each other, uh, that the, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person, and this person empowers us 
to introduce everyone that we love to Jesus. We look on here in verse 14. In verse 14, it says this, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you and listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. All right? Uh, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. That in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I, even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and pillows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Doesn't pull any punches here. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he preaches some more, and it's very Jewish. And, you, and to understand, I'm not going to get so deep into Peter's sermon, but kind of concludes this way. He says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And then when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And so when we see that the Holy Spirit fills people, the Holy Spirit doesn't just fill people to give them warm fuzzies. The Holy Spirit doesn't just fill them to let them know that they're loved by God. The Holy Spirit doesn't only uh, fill people so that they can pray in other languages or have kind of like a wild supernatural experience, although those are all good things, and I hope that everyone experiences that when they experience the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit fills us and empowers us to glorify Jesus to see him lifted up and made known, to make clear what might be confusing about Jesus, and to declare the truth to people who don't know it, to people who are confused, to people who are corrupted, which is all of us, right? Like that's, <laughs> I mean, I, I need the Holy Spirit to speak to my corrupted self to uncorrupt me. I need the Holy Spirit to speak to my confused self to bring me out of being uh, in darkness and into understanding what's really real. I need the Holy Spirit to speak to me and empower me in order for me to be able to be honest and to have the courage to face honestly what is within myself and what I see in others. 
I need the Holy Spirit to speak to me and to make room and to make it safe for me to bring all of my weakness and all of my judgment and all of my sin and everything that I am into the presence of another person just so that we can have community. And so what the Holy Spirit empowers us to do is to speak the truth. And, and you can see how Peter doesn't pull any punches here. He speaks the truth. He tells the people what really happened. And he's courageous. He doesn't say, well, you know, yeah, you, you guys kind of didn't treat him so... No, he says, this man was sent to you. He showed you signs and wonders. And he was... He, you all saw that God was working through him, and you put him to death. He says what's true, even if it hurts, even if it's awkward, even if it's uncomfortable for other people to hear, even if it means that Peter might get some blowback, he might get some pushback, he might have to suffer a little bit for saying what's true, because people will be unhappy with him. He still says what's true. And I think that sometimes as believers, and sometimes as Midwesterners in particular, we have trouble with this. And the funny thing is, is that we think we're doing it. We think we're holding back truth. We think that we're biting our tongues as a way to preserve relationship. And I want to be careful here. Sometimes that is actually the grace-filled thing to do, right? Like the, 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 the reactionary thing, the angry thing, the mean thing, the quippy thing, the little, oh yeah, well, to you, buddy, you know, like that thing. Okay, yeah, keep that to yourself. Like that, the Holy Spirit does empower you to shut up sometimes, and that's not a bad thing, right? The Holy Spirit will give you the grace and the power to not say things that you need to not say, Right? But the Holy Spirit also empowers us and invites us and welcomes us to and challenges us to say things that need to be said that we're afraid to say and to speak truth to each other that needs to be said out loud, to say the thing that we're doubting or to say the way that we're hurt or to confront someone who, you know, we're kind of, kind of maybe dancing around it, kind of afraid to confront that person and tell them what we really think because we are afraid of how they'll react or afraid that they won't like us anymore or afraid that the relationship will be broken. And so when we keep those things in, rather than building and preserving community, uh, that, that, that erodes trust because here's the thing, is those things that we're keeping in, people know that there's something under the surface, right? And we know... That there's, something, that there's something off. You can feel it in any relationship where there's not honesty, in any relationship where there's not real communication, where there's not real give and take, where there's not real openness and acceptance of one another. Uh, you can feel the lack of trust. And that lack of trust is toxic to every human relationship. And that lack of trust um, will eventually make it, make it difficult to stay in relationship. It'll all, all the truth will come out, but it'll come out in a way that's not loving. It'll come out in a way that is anxious. It'll come out in a way that is harsh. It'll come out on Facebook. It'll come out in a way that uh, doesn't honor the other person and their dignity as a person who's made in the image of God, whom Jesus died for, and whom the Holy Spirit has empowered you to speak to in a way that they can understand. 
And so when we encounter the Holy Spirit, we encounter a courageous spirit who is gentle, who is kind, uh, who, is, who is wise, but who is honest and will say true things. And so when we welcome this spirit into our hearts, we need to be willing and able to hear what he has to say to us, to hear the challenging things he has to say to us, and to be able to share those with other people. And from that place of grace, I think we find strength and power to do things and to experience community in ways that are really wonderful. You know, I was thinking as I was preparing this sermon of a couple examples of people who were weird. Uh, and I, I, I remember at a, uh, it's hard to tell this story without feeling like I'm taking sides. I really don't want to take sides. But I was at, a, I was at an event, and I, I felt the need to protest something that was happening. Uh, and so I was at an event, and I felt it was my duty as a Christian believer to show up to this event and to, to protest what I saw as a grave injustice, because this grave injustice was being done uh, supposedly in the name of Jesus. People who, who claim uh, Christianity, and particularly who claim evangelical Christianity, were perpetuating what I saw as to be an intolerable injustice, and this seemed to me to be uh, against the Bible and against the Word of God, and so I felt I needed to go as a representative of Christ and um, you know, say that that's not, that's not the way it should be. Anyway, I was here, and I, I, I happened to run into a few friends. I happened to run into a few people that, uh, that I didn't know were planning to be there as well, but I saw, I saw some friends at this event, and we were protesting. And uh, as we were kind of holding up our signs or whatever, trying to make our voice heard and known, uh, uh, somebody uh, drove by and started yelling profanities and just nasty, mean things out at, at uh, my friends and, and the strangers that I knew that I'm sure I don't agree with on everything, but the people that were protesting at this event. And uh, I had this friend uh, who I believe was full of the Spirit because her reaction to this was so strange, and it was so bizarre, and it was so wonderful uh, that I was so impressed, and, and, uh, and she had this reaction, and she, she reacted to that person yelling at her, and she just said, hey, we love you, God loves you, and she, she like followed that person driving, their, driving around yelling profanities at her and everyone else with just the response of the love of God. She just said, I will not allow your hatred to define me, and I'm going to treat you with grace and love that you don't deserve. And I'm going to declare it to you loudly and awkwardly. And everyone else in the crowd just stood and looked at her and thought, that is, like, I was taken aback just by how she so powerfully demonstrated the love and the gospel of Jesus to that person in that moment because I knew that that is the place where it came from. I was so impressed, and I was so proud to know that person in that moment. The gospel makes us look weird sometimes. Maybe do things that are unintelligible to people, but it's, it's from a place of being willing to love. And when we let the Holy Spirit indwell in our hearts and minds, it changes us to be the kind of people who have that as a knee-jerk reaction. To say, you're treating me with hatred and scorn. I refuse to accept that. I refuse to let that be the thing that defines me. I will treat you with grace that you don't deserve. I will heap the burning coals upon your head. 
and allow God to be your judge because I am not going to hold bitterness in my heart. I am not going to be a person who is defined by the ways of the world and the power structures of this present evil age. I, I will be a prophetic influence and voice to you as you spew hatred towards me. And I hope that that Holy Spirit dwells us all. I was thinking of another story of just, uh, you know, ways that the Holy Spirit has worked in me and through others. And uh, this time it was through, it was through a kid, actually. Uh, and I was, this was, I was working at this camp and we were preaching. Um, you know, we kind of had like a devotional in the morning and devotional evening. And this is at the end of the week. So we spent all week doing like uh, work on somebody's house where we had, um, you know, we were doing basically like a Habitat for Humanity thing, and we're working on this person's house, and then at the end of the week, we go and do some kind of fun wilderness activity, and we do like whitewater rafting, or I think it, I think this one was whitewater rafting, and so after the whitewater rafting and all this, uh, I'm preaching, I'm kind of, I'm really pulling out all the stops, I'm kind of giving my best, doing my best to preach, and, um, and then, uh, you know, the invitation was to, for the kids to break into groups and to, to pray for each other, and uh, while we were doing this, it was a couple of junior high kids and this really weird gal uh, who had been in the group. And all week long, you have to understand, this kid was like really super awkwardly weird. Like, and, and not in the, a good way. Like in an immature, like just terrible, all the, all the awkwardness of teenagers just like distilled. And like she would hiss at people. Have I told you about this person before? She would hiss at people. You would say something that... You, that was, uh, you know, that she didn't like, and she would just look at you and go, <sighs> and she would hiss like a cat, and was like, like, can you chill out? That is so weird. Like, what is your problem, right? Like, and she would just, she would make sarcastic remarks. She would do, and, uh, and that night, uh, this couple of kids who had just been kind of patient and just like really chill and really calm, those couple of kids started praying for her. She started to she started to weep. She started to break down, and, and she accepted Christ in that moment, and she came to Jesus in this camp environment sort of thing, and it was, you know, it was like, wow, did that, did that really just happen? You know, that these kids, like, led her in the prayer, and she bowed the knee. The next day, it was bizarre. It was like a personality transplant. It was like the person that we had been dealing with <laughs> and kind of begrudgingly, patiently putting up with all week was gone, and there was a new person living in that body. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, she was laughing. She was making jokes. Her brother was on the trip, and, and because her change was so dramatic and so, uh, so turnabout, she said something uh, that that was like kind and caring and and complimentary to somebody i think she might have even said it to her brother and her brother was so offended uh by this change by this dramatic change he said he said oh, whatever like you really meant that or believe that why do you always have to be that way and she just she just very very graciously and calmly said you know i know that I have been really terrible, but this time I was really just trying to say something nice, and I'm sorry. And it was like, we were in a van when this interaction took place, and it was like you could hear the pin drop, right? You know, it was just like silent, because 
because God had changed her heart, because she had bowed the knee to Jesus, and she had been transformed by his love, and her whole outlook, her whole perspective on things, and her whole attitude, and her whole way of being was kind of miraculously changed uh, in an instant, and it was really powerful. When we experience God, he makes room for us to care for one another, to give to one another, and to break bread and eat together. I want to read this last bit of, uh, I want to read this last bit of the chapter of Acts, um, uh, the second chapter of Acts, and then I want to take communion together. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. For they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And that is the hope and the prayer that I have for us as a community. And so as we take communion together, I want to invite you to pull out your little packet if you got it there. Uh, and go ahead and just take that, take that top off. I'll read a little scripture that Paul wrote to a community in Corinth. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. He took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. And then if you can, get that top ripped off the juice while I read this next bit. In the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you welcome us to your table, that you make room for us to eat with you and to drink with you and to be with you, that we come as weirdos, that we come as strangers to you, but you welcome us. And we thank you that uh, you make room for us to make mistakes, to be honest, and to clash sometimes but you still welcome us to the table. You still welcome us into relationship. And so, God, I just ask that this morning, that this could be a place that is safe, that this could be a place that people experience your welcome. And, Lord, I just ask that if you have business with us this morning, God, that we would have the courage to respond to you, that we would have the courage to look strange, that we would have the courage to be strange, that we would have the courage to look at our sin, 
and to be able to name it and to turn from it and to embrace you and your agenda for our life. So God, as we turn to you in prayer now, I just ask that you would show up in a powerful way. Lord, pour out your spirit again. We leak and we need you. We need to be refilled. So without saying amen, I'm just going to invite everyone to stand.